Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. You know, actually, I got to tell you this. Today, at the end of this sermon, you will have successfully completed the halfway point (laughs) of this sermon series called One Story. And you might be thinking to yourself as a thinking person, like, how are we going to be halfway through? Because this dude's only gotten me through a book and a half of the Bible, and there's like 66 of them. Well, we're going to have to step on the accelerator <laughs> a little bit. But this, this series, One Story, has been our attempt to look at the Bible from a really zoomed out view and see the overarching arc of one story and see how all of it fits together as a single story that leads to Jesus. And if you're thinking to yourself, okay, like what comes next, right? So we've, we've talked about how, how God uh, created the earth and is a creative God, and we've talked about how God has attached himself to human beings. At this point, one specific family, the family of Abraham, uh, who are now called the Israelites, through a covenant relationship, and then how God has redeemed those people from slavery in Egypt and brought them out and is leading them towards this place called the Promised Land, a land that he promised in that covenant relationship that he had with Abraham, that one day his and his ancestors, or his descendants, really, would inhabit. And so, if you've started to read your Bible from page one, there's some really weird stuff that we've gone through, but it's still a compelling story. You get through the lists of names and that start to slow you down and, and you're, you're hooked in because this is, this is a story that, that pulls you and it moves you and, and you just want to know what happens next, especially when you get to Exodus and there's all these plagues and this, this amazing, miraculous activity of God leading his people out of slavery. And so you're thinking to yourself, like, this Bible's not that hard to read. People complain about it all the time, but, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. And then you get to write where we're going to be at today. Exodus 19, and things kind of start to slow down. We go from this epic narrative to this just stuff that's a grinding halt. God's people have been led out of Egypt, and now they're sitting at the foot of this mountain, and the entire story just comes to a grinding halt And we're thinking to ourselves, like, how am I supposed to read this? Because it's here at this mountain that God gives the Israelites our most uh, confusing, misunderstood, and tedious biblical material. The law. And it's here at, at this point that we have to come face to face with the question 
Like, what, what is this Bible? What is this thing? Is it a divine rule book? Because I'm reading it, and it seems like these are a lot of rules, and I don't know how I'm ever possibly going to follow them. And you can feel free to disagree with me on this, but I'm going to tell you that I don't think that the Bible is a divine rule book. I think that the Bible is a story. It's a story that teaches us how to live and certainly tells us things that we should do and things that we should not do. I mean, the very beginning of this law that we're about to talk about is the Ten Commandments. Certainly things that are still relevant rules that we as followers of Jesus are called to live by today. But even to ancient Israelites who were you know, expected to abide by these laws in a more strict sense than we ever could, even to them, they were never meant to be disjointed or pulled apart from the story of God. And I know this because the word law in Hebrew is the word Torah. And the word Torah is what they call the entirety of the first five books of the Bible from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And as you recall from the last three weeks of sermons, the majority of the word count in the Torah, in the law, is a story. Even if you don't count Genesis and this first half of Exodus we talked about last week, if you read these three and a half books of the Bible, the second half of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you will see that they are a continuation of a story. Much more a story than a list of laws that make no sense to us because we're over 3,000 years removed from their context. So if you read these books in this way, what you will find is a pattern that is not much unlike how modern laws or rules come to exist. God gives some direction. The Israelites immediately mess it up. God gives them some more direction. They immediately mess it up. And this goes on and on and on. And so if you've raised children, you know how this works, right? You tell them not to do something, and so they find a different way to do the same thing that you told them not to do. And so you have to give some more rules about you can't do it that way either. And that goes on and on and on for like 42 to 50 years, if you're lucky. <laughs> My mom still calls. <laughs> This is how it goes, and until all of a sudden we have this list of like 613 laws that are recorded, I bet you there's more. But first, let's just read, before we get into the, the muck of the law code, I think it's important that we look at how it's introduced, because how it's introduced is going to show us the purpose of all of this instruction that God is going to give the people through Moses. And so the very beginning of it is um, Exodus chapter 19. And so starting right on verse 1, it says, On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered into the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, 
and tell the Israelites, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. And so what I want to do is just kind of look closely at the way that God's words are structured here. Because particularly in verses 4 through 6, we're given like a very important understanding of what the function of this Hebrew law is going to be. And so, so God says, you have seen what I did. God's creating this foundation based on a very real experience that the people have had with God and God's power up until this point. So, so you've seen what I did. I brought you up out of Egypt, and I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He's saying, I saved you. <laughs> I brought you to me. And this is incredibly important because when we talk about the consequences of human iniquity, when we talk about the consequences of sin in our world, the greatest consequence of all is the separation that sin and iniquity causes between humans and God. And so God is saying to them, look, I took care of the problem. I brought you to myself. In our Christian language, God saved them. He says, because of that, if you keep my covenant, these laws that I haven't given to you yet, but I'm about to, if you keep these laws, you will be a treasured possession, a priestly kingdom, a holy nation. And this conditional statement is not like, hey, if you break my covenant, you won't be my people anymore. The statement is, if you keep my covenant, then you will fulfill my purpose for you in this world. And that purpose is to teach the Israelites how to fulfill God's purpose in the world through the giving of the law. Their purpose was to be a priestly nation. And you know what priests did? Priests mediated the relationship between God and and humans. And so what God is saying to them is that the purpose of Israel, your whole purpose, is to be a nation that brings other nations closer to a relationship with God. And the way to do that is to follow this law, which is going to teach you to act differently than they do, to be different than the nations around them. And there's going to be like a number uh, of different types of laws that God is going to give to Israel to help them to accomplish this task of being different, or in other words, set apart, holy. And so here's a basic rundown of kind of some of these categories of laws that you'll see when you go home today and read the entire law. Ancient ritual symbols. These are, are some of the things that set Israel apart. They, they made Israel distinct from their neighboring countries. They kept them away from things that symbolize death and disease and moral corruption. You'll find uh, instructions, blueprints, actually, for how to build a tabernacle. 
You'll see laws about animal sacrifices, things that me and Braden back there are both really glad that we don't do today. It's a lot of blood to clean up. But essentially what would happen is these animals and even other offerings, grain and such, would be burnt on an altar and the smoke, their very essence, would rise up to God. And this would act as a atonement, a forgiveness of sins. It's a way for the people to have known like, hey, we are good with God right now. But there's a lot more to the law than these re religious ritual things and, and blueprints and animal sacrifices. Most of the law is about justice. You see, on the very first page of the Torah, the law, in Genesis 1, we find out that every single human being is made in God's image and is worthy of dignity. And what much of the law is attempting to do is instill that ethical understanding into the day-to-day -day life of these people, the Israelites. Because these are people who have never had a code of laws to follow directly from God. These are people who have been subject to the influence of surrounding nations for generations and generations. These are people whom the only law code they really understood was that of their oppressors in Egypt. And so what God is trying to say is you need to look at people differently than your oppressors in Egypt looked at people because the way they looked at people, it made you slaves. It made you subhuman. And you might say, yeah, but hey, um, Pastor Tim, uh, when I read my Bible, uh, there are passages that seem to promote slavery and other barbaric things. And so what we have to understand is that this law was given to Israel just as they were. People who really had no understanding. People whose, whose only understanding of law was, like I said, given to them from Egypt. And so what the law was doing was pushing Israel towards justice. It, it didn't abolish slavery, but it stripped slavery of its power. Because also in that law was a provision that every seven years, slaves would be freed. And beyond that, the law created stipulations and provisions for the poor, for widows, for orphans, and for foreigners. This was like really revolutionary stuff in its day. Uh, it seems to us like crazy uh, reactionary and just kind of barbaric. But what we have to see is that none of these practices were heard of in the ancient world. See, the point of the law was to create a new kind of society that more closely reflected God's will for all of humanity. A kind of society that was not seen before in the ancient Near East. A society that was saturated with God's wisdom and God's ethics. But um, <laughs> if you know the story, it doesn't really go very well. I've already said that the giving of the law is inserted into narratives of Israel's disobedience. And, and this continues all the way through Exodus. You may recall the golden calf incident and just a number of other ways that the Israelites really mess things up going all the way through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When you finally get to the final pages of this chunk of the Bible that we call the Torah, just before Moses dies, 
the Israelites are, are camped outside of the promised land, this land that they've been hoping and dreaming about inhabiting for, for generations. And Moses stands up and he basically says to the people, like, this isn't going to work out for you. It's not going good. You don't have what you need. Because what you need are new and transformed hearts if you're truly ever going to follow God's laws. And so Moses brings them face to face with the problem. They have, in theory, everything they need. They have instructions. But in their humanity, they can't live it out. They can't follow them. They continue to mess it up. All throughout the rest of Israel's history, they fail time and time again. And in the midst of that, God sends prophets who speak and remind the people of this fundamental heart problem they have. You know, the prophet Ezekiel comes and he gives them this word from God. This is Ezekiel 36 verse 26 and 27. He says, A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. The prophet Jeremiah says it this way, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, even though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And these prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, make both the problem and the solution very clear. Humans have a heart problem. Our hearts are hardened. They're made of stone. They need to be replaced. So God promises that, that someday he's going to provide a fundamental change of the human heart. That he will remove their hard hearts, give them a heart of flesh, put his spirit within them, and write his law on their hearts. But how? How will this be done? How can people, these people, these Israelite people, how can these people, these you and me people, possibly have a fundamental change of heart? How can this ancient law code that we find in our Bibles possibly be written on our hearts 3,000 years later? And why would I want it to be? Half of it seems irrelevant. Well, I think, you know, the answer to that question, how? Well, through Jesus. See, Jesus was born into a culture much like ours. A culture that deeply needed new hearts. They had the law, they had a list of rights and wrongs, and they really, really tried to follow it, but 
they still had hard hearts. And so their attempts to follow the law were, were cold and legalistic. Out of the hardness of the human heart, out of the hardness of the human heart, comes the ugliest parts of human nature, even when people think that they're doing the right thing. The law became this oppressive thing that was used to exclude people from experiencing a life-transforming relationship with God. But Jesus came, and Jesus changed everything. And this is what he says at a, a part of his famous Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about the law to these followers. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's what the Hebrew people called the Old Testament. It says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And it seems a little bit contradictory until we recall what the original purpose of the law was. Remember, it was a means by which God's wisdom and ethic was given to the people so that they could live out their mission to mediate between God and the nations of the world. And so what Jesus did is Jesus came and he fulfilled the law on our behalf because we were fundamentally incapable of doing it. Jesus says the law doesn't pass away. The law is not irrelevant, but rather the law is fulfilled in me. It's in the person and work of Jesus. The law is fulfilled because Jesus is the perfect mediator between God and humans. Because God, Jesus, is both 100% God and 100% human. It's fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus because the whole point of the law is this, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22. It says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. You see, Jesus came and taught us how to do this. He, he taught us what this looks like. And what this looks like is a fundamentally changed heart. The law says, do not murder, but Jesus says, if you're even angry with somebody, if you're, if you're holding any type of resentment against them in your heart, then you're guilty of murder just the same. And what this really points us to is the fact that God is still fundamentally concerned with the state of the human heart. You know, when Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came to live in the hearts of those who followed him. And we were finally given the ability to follow, truly follow the law. Our hearts are transformed. Our stone is replaced by flesh. And the law of God to love him and love others is written on our hearts. We're, we're given new life. And with that new life, 
the ability to live into our purpose to bless the world. But so what, right? What, what's, what's even the point? What, what's our relationship to the law today? How does it define who we are called to be and guide the way that we are called to live as people and as a church? Well, I think that if we look at the grand arc of the biblical story, it's pretty clear. See, God's entire program in the Bible is to recover what has been lost, to redeem it and to renew it. And so God's desire for this world is for it to be a just place that sustains life. And so the law for us is meant to drive our understanding of what God wants for this world. In very practical ways, the law says feed the poor. Take care of widows, take care of orphans, take care of foreigners. Bring people who live on the margins of society into the middle of our community and show them love. Jesus says, do this, not because the law says to do it, but do it because it's the natural outpouring of our love for God and our love for our neighbors. The driving point of that law that has been written on our hearts. And I know that these are really easy things to say, but are much harder things to put into practice in our day-to-day -day lives. It's especially hard in our particular climate these days when the people who live on the margins of society are often involved in our modern-day political debates and the divisiveness that kind of characterizes our world today. We begin to see people as political issues. But God doesn't see people that way. God sees people as those who bear his image, as, as people who have sacred worth. And so what we need to do is we need to divorce ourselves from seeing people as parts of political agendas in order to justify our neglect of them. We need to, to be people who rise above the noise of CNN and Fox News, who rise above the blue and red elephant and donkey debate and live out the law that Christ has written on our hearts rather than the false law that comes to us wrapped up in divisive language and rhetoric and opinion echo chambers. We need to rise above all of that because we follow a higher law. And that law is given to us by a higher authority than anything here on this earth. And so what we need to ask ourselves is, you know, does the law that I follow, the way of living and seeing the world that I follow, does it resemble the law of God, the law of Christ? Or does it look more like the law and the ethics of this world? The reality is that if the law that you follow allows you to justify mistreating, excluding, or disparaging people who are made in God's image, even if you're just telling them the truth, then you might need to take a minute to check out the words and the actions of Jesus. Or maybe take a moment to reflect on some of the words of the Apostle Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul, who's Writings have been most used by Christians throughout history to create some kind of new law that they can use to disqualify others. And so 
Paul on this matter says this, and this comes from the book of Romans, chapter 13. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, and you shall not coven, and any other commandments are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, and therefore, love is fulfilling the law. And I know for some there might be some difficulty in, in grabbing this concept. And what I'm not saying is that like, hey, there are not moral and ethical standards that we want to see all followers of Jesus and really people in our world to live by. But what I am saying is that those things are not a requirement for being included in God's saving and redemptive work. Remember those words to Israel from Exodus 19. I brought you out of Egypt. I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Therefore, live in a new way and be new people. So all that I'm asking is that you and that, that we as a church not impose ourselves as some kind of barricade between God and the people that he is bringing to himself. Let us instead be the eagle's wings, carrying the hurt, the broken, those who live on the margins of society, those who have been told that their very identity is incompatible with Christianity. Help us bring them to the presence of God. Help us to be a, a nation of priests who will stop at nothing to bring the light of Christ's love into places where darkness exists or even worse, has veiled itself as the church. Let us show this world what the church really looks like, introducing this world to the God who looks at them and says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. So let's pray. God, we, we thank you that you have looked at us and that you've said those are my people I will be their God because we needed you so much we still need you so much so God we just invite you to, to remind us of your purpose for us in this world remind us day in and day out to be guided by the law that you've written on our hearts. A law that seeks to love you by living out our lives in a righteous and holy way. To live our lives as, as people who show an abounding love for our neighbors because of the way that you have shown us how to love. Because, God, we know that, that we're not good at this. It's not natural. We recognize our, our human frailty. We recognize the fact that sometimes our hearts still look more like stone than flesh. And so we're just asking that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts, open our eyes, 
And help us to, to see and to love those whom you have called us to love. The, the people on the margins of society, the people who walk past this church building and think to themselves, those folks could never love me. Help us to reach out, to shine the light of your love into the darkness because you said that the light shines into the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. And so strengthen us with that word. Strengthen us with, with that knowledge that in the brokenness of our world, the light of your love is just begging to be shown through us, your people, through word, through deed, through the way that we love. So God, help us. Help us to be more like you. Show us how to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.